listeners, thank you so much for joining me today and welcome back to another episode of In a Dark Dark Room. I am your host Abby and in this podcast I of course cover all things creep. So if you're interested in spooky things, true crime, paranormal and scary story narrations then you are in the perfect, most welcoming, comforting, no judgement space. Now I'm not really sure how to even introduce introduce or have an intro to a to an episode like this so I'm just going to keep my introduction very very short and blunt okay okay so welcome to this week's episode now this week's episode this is going to leave you with a few life questions about yourself. So life questions about yourself, the justice system, and probably criminals in general. Do you believe in the death penalty? How do you feel about criminals suffering inside prison while serving their time? Do the crime do the time? You deserve a second chance at life? Do you believe in a chance for other people to better themselves in prison no matter the crime they committed? Well, if you think you've got yourself figured out in terms of what you believe, just hold on a second, because this is a case so disturbingly dark that you might just question your entire belief system after hearing this episode. A crime here was committed that is so disgustingly evil that some people simply didn't see a reason for the perpetrator to be alive at all. So, of course, it is the case of Richard Huckle. Potentially one of the world's most dangerous child predators, if not the most dangerous, that's ever been recorded. Now, of course, this case does involve child sexual abuse. So if that is something that is a little too hard on your ears at the minute, take a step back and keep yourself and your mind healthy, please. So, who is Richard Huckle? So Richard William Huckle was a baby boy born into the world on 14th of May in 1986 to a comfortably middle-class family in Ashford in Kent. Now for UK listeners or people that have a profound interest in the UK geography, you will know that Kent is a very middle-class area in general. I can imagine that it's what a lot of people not from the UK might picture when they think of England, you know, nice cottages, Tudor houses, very nice neighbourhoods and villages. And it's actually one of the most expensive places to live in the entire country. So you can understand what I mean when I describe Richard's family as comfortably middle class, just based on where they live alone. Now, Richard had a very normal, healthy life growing up. His parents were described as lovely, warm, church-going parents. And Richard was described similarly for the beginning of his life anyway. He was a bit of a loner and was overall a generally popular kid in primary school, despite being quiet. But he was believed to be destined for greatness because he showed a lot of potential in his academic work at this age. So Richard was very intelligent and he actually ended up getting accepted into a selective grammar secondary school. Now again, for non-UK listeners, a grammar school is a high school that only selected, that only has selected students, sorry. So these students are chosen to apply for the school. They're not usually private schools, but they're state schools that try to offer a better education for those who have the academic ability. So there's your picks and then there's an entrance exam to be accepted into these specific schools. So Richard in primary school stood out enough that he was selected for this and passed the exam to get into grammar school. After Richard started attending secondary school, things got a little bit different for him. His quietness and kind of out of placeness stood out a lot more and was a lot more noticed throughout high school and he ended up falling away from his primary school friends and he just kind of lost his way a little bit. You know, he was popular in primary school for the first 11, 12 years of his life and now he's he kind of sticks out in not the most positive way. It was said that he did have a few close friends in school, in high school, but was overall a pretty odd kid. It seemed though that Richard never really wanted to draw any attention to himself, he was very private and it was almost as though he kept his academic ability a secret because again he just really didn't want to put any form of spotlight on himself. So 
he would kind of keep things quiet and not really talk. But as we all know, sometimes this can actually make kids stick out a little bit more. His interest didn't really line up with a lot of other kids at school. You know, he loved Pokemon and Warhammer. And you know how school goes. Really sadly, the quiet, introverted kids can be labelled as odd, weird, creepy... And that's kind of what happened with Richard at his secondary school. Most days he got at least some form of teasing. Now he wasn't really heavily bullied. It was more just like a bit of a wind up, bit of a teasing most days. It was more like, it was kind of lighthearted. Some of it was obviously serious. I wasn't there, so I don't want to be saying, yeah, he was really heavily bullied or he wasn't. But it, judging by the comments made from his like old former classmates it was just kind of light teasing and people would call him names sometimes but it wasn't like he was being you know really viciously beaten up after school or anything so most days he got a bit teasing and they would call him like rats or rat like for his appearance because he's got quite a long face and and dark long hair So this meant that Richard's academic effort declined quite a lot. His grades dropped and he just stopped caring. He did his GCSEs and he really struggled through his A-levels. So the education really dropped in Richard's list of priorities. And he was just kind of of figuring out what he was going to do with his life, figuring himself out. And of course, you know, the future in general. It's a really scary time in school to be trying to figure out what you want to do forever. So when Richard was 16 years old, he ended up going on a month-long expedition to visit a school in Namibia in Africa. Namibia is in southern Africa, just on the border of the country, South Africa. It's a really, really, really beautiful country. So schools offer expeditions there to explore the desert, safari, and also just to experience another type of schooling in the world, as Namibia is like a lot of countries in Africa, does have quite a a large gap between the wealthy and the poor. So they kind of would go to different schools, look at, you know, the culture and animal life as well, but to also just kind of be, have their minds open to what other kids have to experience just to get an education. So it was to experience a really nice country in the world, but also to experience, you know, real life, I guess. So when Richard was between the ages of 16 to 17, his parents bought him his very first DSLR camera. So a very nice, you know, big camera with changeable lenses. So Richard got quite into photography after this. It was quite refreshing for Richard and his parents because he'd kind of been going down into a slum as he didn't really know what his future entailed. He stopped caring about his grades, so obviously they declined. But when he got his camera, he just loved it. He was that person that always had that camera wrapped around his neck and it was his passion. And that was nice for his parents to see, you know, him kind of throwing himself into something that could actually end up being a career. So it all seemed well in the Huckle household for now. And when Richard was around 18, he turned back to Christianity. Now, despite his parents being religious, I think when you're easy, when you're younger, sorry, it's a lot easier to kind of question what's going on, if you're actually really interested in church and things like that. I don't think he ever fully left the religion, but he just kind of turned back to Christianity to practice it and go to, you know, church and just to live his life in a more Christian way. So he regained his faith when he became an adult and he joined a couple of churches in the UK. And here he was also described as a very quiet guy. But due to his camera and photography, he did end up being a pretty stand-up guy and part of the church community. So he would do photography for baptisms, general church events, charity things. So yes, he was odd and quiet, but he kind of earned earned himself, sorry, a, a standout place within his community that he had chosen. Now, as I mentioned, Richard went on an expedition to Namibia and after he came back from there, he went on to study at college before he decided to take a break, a gap year. And when he turned 19, that's what he did. He took his gap year just to kind of chill out for a bit. So during his gap year, Richard went to Malaysia from 2005 to 2006. He really enjoyed his time there. And as you know, a lot of British students and young people take their gap year to maybe work, earn some experience or money, or they travel if it's within their budget. They often go to places like Asia or Australia. And this was no different for Richard. 
However, the biggest difference here was that Richard went on his gap year for reasons that other young people might. He wasn't going to bars and having these wild experiences within different cultures and substances and alcohol and people, you know, kind of exploring themselves in the world. He was there to volunteer at churches, schools and was doing a lot of charity work. Now you might be thinking at this point, wow, what a wonderful young boy going over there to help the less fortunate churches and schools. Wow. What a a lovely man dedicating his life to helping people. So when Richard first went to Malaysia, he was put into an animal conservation programme located in the jungle. But working with animals wasn't something that he was really after. So he went to the organisation that sent him out there. He went to their offices. So it's like this organisation does their visas and gets them all set up to be out there. And he went to this organisation, explained that he wasn't really interested in working out in the jungle with animals and things, but he was more interested in helping and working with the people out there. So schools, churches, orphanages. So he was sent to a school to help kids teach English. Now he was sent there with another traveller called Sammy. Now, Sammy that he was sent with to this school ended up being his roommate because they were in the same program and they were just, and it was probably just a lot more convenient for the, you know, the the program and the organisation to have two people there and they live together. So they were in the same program together, Sammy and Richard. And Sammy said that Richard just never really said anything ever. He didn't interact with anyone, her, the teachers, and even the school children in the school that they were helping, which was obviously quite weird to her as he had specifically requested to work with kids pretty much. So despite his lack of interaction and conversation in general, people still gave Richard a chance. He was there doing charity work, he claimed to be a Christian and was, you know, passionate about his faith. He was devoted to helping those in need. So if he's not interested in actually interacting with the kids but wants to work with the kids, why is he there? So nearer the end of 2005, during that gap year, Richard was moved from that school in Malaysia that he was helping with, you know, with Sammy, his other programme friend. He was moved from the school in Malaysia into a church. The reason behind this was that Richard was, had been found, sorry, that he was keeping a blog diary journal, online journal thing. And on this blog, he was talking in great detail about his dislike for the other volunteers and members of the organisation that he was working with. He was just writing on there, slagging everyone off and being really rude. And he was quite arrogant in general, I think. So when this came to light, obviously the organisation was like, what the fuck? So they moved him into a church by himself. Obviously, you know, there was people that went to the church, but this just means that he was no longer working with anyone else. He was the only member of the organisation who was at this church and he was trusted to do his job there completely on his own. So his job there was to teach Sunday school to the kids. And it was at this church Sunday school teaching that it really came to light and started kind of playing into why Richard was actually so interested in being around children. So this church Sunday school workplace that Richard was doing, was working at, sorry, was really his stepping stone into what would become one of the worst cases of crime against children ever recorded. So this church had essentially become Richard Huckle's hunting ground for his horrific abuse. A lot of the details about this case have been learned from Richard himself because he kept a diary the entire time. And this is where he documented all of the steps that he had taken, the manipulation that he had done in order to gain access to children, what he did to the children, pictures he had taken of the children, He had documented the entire thing and it was at this church where this all began. So Richard Huckle would intentionally befriend the parents of the children of this church. He would essentially groom the parents and gain their trust. He learned the local language, which impressed a lot of people, you know. He had come and done all this effort to be a nice guy. So he gained a lot of trust by learning their language and it impressed a lot of people 
worked particularly well. But Richard ended up actually being completely fired from the organisation that he was working out there for. So they, they're the ones that organise people to go, you apply and then they organise, you know, get your flights and visas and accommodation and work and everything for you. So this organisation had sacked Richard because one of the church parents had complained about Richard very early on, stating that he had hit their child Or one of the children, I don't know if it was like one church parent or a few of them, but there was a complaint that Richard had been abusing the children physically. And obviously after hearing this, the organisation didn't want him working there. They took him out of there. But Richard had become such a reputable person with the other parents and workers of the church that the church decided to hire Richard back within a week of him being sacked by the organisation. So he was now working directly for the church themselves no longer through a third party for any sort of protection from for anyone. So this whole situation gave Richard the power and the ego of a very dangerous abuser. Now looking at Richard's diary, the entire situation between his organisation and the church itself was documented and he spoke about being employed directly by the church, being grateful that he still had the opportunity, etc. But in this diary, it's quite terrifying just how quickly Richard started to take a turn onto the children. Almost as soon as he got this job at the church teaching Sunday school, Richard began his abuse. Now remember, he is a photographer, so he always had this camera around his neck. And the old roommate that I mentioned, Sammy, she was working with Richard at the school, you know, before he was working at the church. And she said that he always had this camera on, even around the children. So first at this church that he was now working directly for, Richard started taking photos of the kids, explaining to workers and parents that it was promotional photography and that he wanted memories for his trip and his career portfolio. However, in his diary, Richard discusses how this allowed him to take extra steps in gaining access to the kids. So Richard would first photograph them, you know, normally doing activities, you know, baptisms and doing church activities and colouring in or whatever. And then the more this went on and the more kind of normal it became for Richard to be taking pictures of children, the less clothes that the children would have on, the poses that they were instructed to do became very questionable. And then when it came to the point where Richard was trusted enough, he would be allowed to just be alone with the kids. And obviously if one of the parents went home and were like, if one of the kids, sorry, went home and was like, oh, Richard was taking pictures of me, they would have just been like, oh, that's normal. You know, I've seen him take pictures of you. It's fine. Nothing to worry about. But as it went on, looking at the photos, it just became very, very, very messed up very quickly. And in this diary, Richard said here, I had some of the children sit down with me for a cuddle. We got out the mattress and had a relaxed session, dot, dot, dot. Now that's it. We don't know what a relaxed session was, but it's something that I don't even really want to think about too much. But it's just an example of how quickly Richard had turned on the kids and how it really didn't take him long to find an organisation or church or school that he was comfortable with to begin his abuse. Now, during his time in Malaysia, Richard befriended a particular family who took a lot of pity on his situation. He seemed like lonely. He was on and off homeless sometimes and they felt pretty sorry for him. So they took him in and allowed him to stay with them. Richard, however, knew that this family were going to do this and he intentionally kind of played on a situation, you know, whinged about a situation so people would feel sorry for him. But of course he had much more sinister ulterior motives for getting into this family's house and gaining their trust. Richard claimed to be enchanted by a member of their family and this was a little girl, their little girl, and she was just two years old. Now of course you can imagine what Richard was doing to this young girl as he was living under the same roof as her. He wasn't permanently living there. He would leave this family and return to them every so often. And every time he went back and forth to Malaysia and other countries, he would do a bit of traveling. But when he went back to Malaysia, he would always make sure that he reconnected with this family so he could repeatedly rape and abuse their two-year-old baby girl. 
What's even more horrifying about this is that Richard would film each time that he assaulted her and even more disgustingly, he would force her to watch back her own rape. Now really sadly as well, this little girl did voice what was happening to her parents but she was brushed off completely. Richard was seen as a pillar of their community and it helped them out so much that her pleas fell on completely deaf ears and Richard continued on with access to this baby girl for nearly a year. So as you can imagine, Richard Huckle enjoyed his gap year in Malaysia so much that he went on to travel to Cambodia the following year to do the same thing, supposedly help and educate those kids who are in poorer countries. But during his time in Cambodia, Richard stepped up his crimes and befriended another family who had two young girls aged four and six. He, of course, repeatedly abused them as well. He left, travelled to other countries and returned to Cambodia to the same family, abusing them again and again and again. He also grew closer to another family who had another two-year-old daughter who suffered the same level of abuse at the hands of Richard Huckle. So like I was saying, Richard travelled on and off during this time. It's not 100% clear what the timeline was for each time that he spent in what country, what he did there, etc. So I know he travelled to Bangalore, which is in southern India. Here he came across a really small village who were obviously very happy sorry, to welcome him in. Now please remember that you might be wondering why are so many people so happy accepting in a stranger but these people from developing countries and poorer villages have a way of life that myself and most people listening to this do live in the west so it's we probably wouldn't even be able to fathom the different kind of qualities of life that people have in these developing countries and I'm not saying it's just Asia you know it's all over the world but when you've got a country that has so many people a country like India has over a billion people there. It's, one of, it's, it's, it's either the most populated country in the world now or is up there. When you've got so many people in such a large country, so these people in poorer communities are so unfathomably poor and different that they are very, very, very vulnerable. So... Richard would intentionally travel to these types of villages where families were very vulnerable and and they experienced a really hard time in general. So he would offer cheap or free English teaching lessons, which would kind of back up, like he would back this up by saying that if he, if this parent, like, so he was speaking to a parent, if you allow me to teach your kids English for free, it will allow them much greater opportunities and they will be able to have promising futures if they learned English. So obviously they had no other option to to accept this because they wanted the best for their children. So Richard was really, really, really preying on the weak here and targeting those who have no other option but to accept his services and he even managed to persuade a pastor of an orphanage to allow him to take photos and videos of the kids for promotional purposes. For an orphanage. Like, I don't, like, what? I don't even, this guy was so fucked. So Richard found this small village that I'd mentioned and he targeted them. Families welcomed him in with open arms and he would stay with the families and work, teach English, volunteer at churches. Basically, all of the things that get you into heaven and get you respect in an environment. Richard was doing. Now this, like I said, this village was mostly made up of very poor low-income families and it was here that he ended up raping and abusing around 30 children between the ages of four and seven. 30. Now he went on to return to India four times and would always go to the same areas, the same families and therefore the same children. So it's not like even when he left these children could gain a sense of peace and try and heal because he would come back and inflict the same torture on them. Now like I said it's not 100% sure what Richard's timeline was for where he was going and how long he spent in each country but it's known that he returned to Malaysia to live permanently in 2010. Now as well as a community and report that he'd built within the church in Malaysia Richard continued to establish himself outside of the church. 
So he enrolled in a short course that would provide him with a certificate to teach English. He was also working as a freelance photographer around the capital of Malaysia. And he was even doing part-time photography for Nike Football Club in Malaysia. So he was doing a pretty good job of building up a positive reputation and gaining the trust of locals and everyone around him. Now during all of this, when he was travelling and staying with families and abusing children, Richard had been keeping a diary, as I mentioned, but also a pretty large digital footprint online. All of these photos and these photos that he had accumulated weren't just for Richard's personal use, nor were they just used to traumatise the victims even more than he already had. Richard, for quite some time, had been uploading his catalogue of abuse onto the dark web, onto forums, which were entirely about paedophilia and child pornography. And Richard was making quite a lot of money from his abuse catalogue. I don't even know what you would call that. Yes, he was making money. It was his career, essentially. He was making a lot more money doing this than he was in any jobs teaching English and normal photography, non-illegal photography. So he was making a lot more cash doing child pornography. He was uploading thousands and thousands of homemade content onto websites for other very sick and twisted individuals to purchase for their own personal use. Now, Richard made all of his money pretty much from a website called Pedo Funding. Yes, Pedo Funding, which was one of the several illicit sites on the dark web where members contributed bitcoins in order to see images and videos of children being abused. Now, this site, thank God, was closed down in 2014. But before then, Richard was one of the top users and uploaders onto this site, which made him quite known in the world of child pornography and paedophilia and a popular creator for other paedophiles. So he was active on a lot of different forums on the dark web, but he definitely had his favourites. And one of them was a really disgusting forum called The Love Zone. Now, this was once one of the top sites for child pornography and had a reported 45,000 active members and had categories on this forum. So I'm going to I'm going to share some of the the categories, okay, that they had on the website. You don't have to listen to this. It's really, really horrifying and it's really quite traumatic. Child sex and prostitution. And the description was where and how to find kids to have sex with. Links, guides and security with a description of everything you need to keep you safe and well informed in the pedo world. Boy pictures, pictures of delicious little boys and that also included subcategories which were boy toddlers, male jail bay and requests. They also had girl pictures which were pictures of yummy little girls as per the description. Boy videos, videos of sexy little boys and also girls and they all had subcategories which were like toddlers, jail bay and requests. So that's just a few of them but there were many, many, many more different kinds of categories on this Love Zone website. Now this website Love Zone, like I said, had 45,000 active members and what that means by active members It means that if you didn't upload every single month, so you had to upload some form of original content, if you didn't do that every 30 days or within 30 days, you were booted from this forum. So that's just how exclusive and active this really was. So like I said, 45,000 active members meant that there were 45,000 different users uploading every single month onto this website. That's unfathomably scary. That makes me really uncomfortable. Okay. So as I mentioned, Richard was very active on this website. And if you really wanted to get an idea of just how sick and twisted this man was, here are some of the comments and captions that he would upload onto this site, either on his own content or other people's content. I'd hit the jackpot. A three-year-old girl is loyal to me as my dog and nobody seemed to care. So during an online chat, he said that raping a three-year-old had become boring. So he said, the three-year-old I can have so much sex with, it's just boring now. And then he had a little, like, tongue out emoji. Now in another, he said that impoverished kids are much easier to seduce than middle class ones. So he said, impoverished kids are so much easier to seduce than middle class Western kids. I still plan on publishing a guide on this subject at some point. And he said here in another post, 
It will likely take something very serious to get me to stop or to slow down. But if I'm not suffering consequences, what is there for me to learn from? With another, like, sticky out tongue emoji. Like, he's just, he's just no remorse here. He's just loving the fact that he, who he is and what he's doing. Now, Richard wasn't just active on dark web forums. He was also active on a lot of photography websites where people would travel the world and upload pictures of their travels. So on these websites, you know, things like Flickr and that's the only one I know, but different websites like that where you can upload pictures. So he would specifically find pictures of children on this normal website. So they were normal photos, not a dark web website. And he would seek out these photos of kids. And there was this one where a photographer had taken a picture of two young boys in India. So it was a picture of two young boys and one of them was nude. But remember, it's totally different. A lot of kids will probably be, you know, running around naked in cities and different countries because cultures are very different and so are, so is money. So now keep in mind, comments I'm going to tell you about are from a normal photography website where he has sought out photographs of children. So he's basically commenting on regular pictures of kids smiling. One of them's nude. You know, it's, it's just that it's regular photos. So he says here, I did wonder about his private parts until I read the caption, though I personally feel there is little offence in natural nudity. Still a nice photo. Cute, smiley, happy children. And then on another comment of a photo, which is just a smiling child, he says, He needs all the riches in the world to be happy. Cambodian kids are one of the richest in the world when it comes to happiness. Beautiful snapshot. And then another one on a photograph of a young girl taken in India. Beautiful focus, beautiful smile, beautiful child. Just beautiful, dot, dot, dot. And on another one, he said, I don't have this in my notes, but I remember seeing it. He says something like, I came across a young girl like this in India as well. Very devoted and loyal. Had f- have fun with her, wink face. I wonder if these photographers were like, what the fuck are you talking about? What a creep. Now on this website, some might read this as just a photographer who's very passionate about pictures of kids who are raised in poverty. But we obviously know that with Richard Huckle, there is a much darker thought process going on in his head behind those comments. Now due to the success that Richard was having in Malaysia and India and all these other countries that he was travelling to and from, he had absolutely no desire to return home to the UK at all. He said himself that the kids here were much easier to target than the ones from middle-class Western families, so he wasn't going anywhere. And with that, of course, he was growing much more dangerous by the day. So in Malaysia, he was pretty much a permanent resident. He didn't have like a visa to reflect this, but in terms of community, he was very well known and trusted by families. So much that he managed to manipulate the same family and he abused The same little girl from the ages of five all the way until she was 12 years old. The very same girl. He would also have victims, I think specifically that one, that he claimed that he was in a relationship with her and he was hoping that he could marry her in the future and adopt some children so that he could freely rape and abuse those adopted children as some, he somehow drew the line at incest. So he didn't want biological children with this victim that he was going to marry. He wanted to adopt children so he could have free will to abuse them. And this is something that he had seriously considered and thought thought through, apparently. So that's just how that's just how twisted Richard Huckle is. So Richard having the power to repeatedly abuse the same victims from the same families also gave him a little bit of a storyline to post about when he would post content on these disgusting websites that people paid for. So as I mentioned, he said that he had a victim who he abused from the ages of 5 to 12 and then he had another victim that he described as as loyal as a dog. So he also abused that same victim for years. So he would like regularly post about them and post their names with updates and videos and images. So watchers of this content could have their favourites that they could go back to and follow. It's absolutely disgusting, I know, but it's how it worked. So when it came to posting about them, people knew who they were. So I wanted to share an example of how he would post content and stories about his repeat victims. Soon came, you know, the child's fifth birthday. I was allowed to take her out alone to celebrate with her. 
This was my first time properly alone with her. So before her day out, she came by my place. She wasn't fond of being touched, but I eventually got her undressed and had her take one for the team. Our first proper naked sexual play together with plenty of blank as well as mine. You can probably tell from her expression that she wasn't most pleased, but that's a small price to pay when nobody else is interested in celebrating your birthday. I'm sorry, I just had to take a break there. It's just, it's so difficult to read. The first time I read that, I just couldn't stop crying. It's just the fact that he's preying on these poor kids who are in a horrible situation. Just consciously knowing and taking advantage of such an innocent little soul who has no control over the card of life that they've been dealt and how it works so well for him. I just can't, I just, I just can't get my head around it. It's just so, so sick. Now I'm sure by this point talking about Richard Huckle you're probably feeling very deflated if you haven't already turned this off. But just know that there is somewhat a light at the end of this very, very dark, disgusting tunnel. Now Richard, after, even though he was talking about this for years and years, he was eventually caught. Now you might be thinking that him getting captured was from a call from the Malaysian police or something from a parent of an abused child or a or a member of the church raising an alarm or something along those lines. And well, that would be wrong. So there was an enormous international child pornography investigation that started in Canada in 2010. This was called Project Spade. So the investigation started when Toronto police made contact online with a man who is alleged to have been sharing child porn videos via the internet and mail, so mailing them out to people. Now this man was called Brian Way and he was the first man in this investigation to be arrested. So he was a 42-year-old man from Toronto and was also the owner of Toronto-based company called Azos, Azos Films. So this was a company that was found to be distributing DVDs and streaming videos of naked children via ordering on his website. So when police in Canada arrested this man, they seized and searched all of his business practices and they realised just how huge this organisation was as this one man in Toronto had made over four million Canadian dollars from this website that he was running. So they knew immediately that this was going to be an enormous operation. So they had a look into everything, worked with the postal services. Everyone basically got together to track down all of the customers of this man who'd been ordering off this website and just communicating, watching, you know, these really horrible, illegal, gross, disgusting things of of children. So they saw that this company had been distributing to over 50 different countries in the world. So this, like I said, became a huge investigation. And it eventually ended with 348 people being arrested internationally. And 386 children were said to have been rescued after this investigation concluded. Now, some of the people included in these arrests were teachers, police officers, doctors and priests. And this investigation ended up actually leading to a few high-profile people committing suicide. Isn't that insane? They're everywhere. So off the back of this investigation in Canada, Australia had also opened their own as the Canadian police had informed them that there was obviously some practices going on there. So Australia named their own investigation Project Thunderer. So out of the 348 people arrested in total, 66 of them were Australians. So that's nearly 20% of total arrests coming from Australia. So in this investigation, so it's, this is where it gets a little bit like confusing because they arrested this guy in Canada who was, I've actually not got this in my research notes, but I remember reading this, so I am going to include it. So they arrested this man in Canada and they looked at all of his customers and realised, oh shit, we've got a massive investigation now. So, obviously a lot of different countries got involved, but there was a specific website called The Love Zone, okay, that I mentioned before, and this is what they end up trying to take down. But this happened because in Denmark, there was a Danish man who was a customer of this guy in Canada, and he had also been watching child pornography online, and they noticed that he was watching it from a website called The Love Zone, 
He was also watching videos that had been posted by this one man in Australia. So the Danish police also, so Canadian police were working with Australian police, obviously, because they had a lot going on in Australia. But what particularly, what, what one thing led to the love zone being a massive target was Danish police contacting Australian police saying, we've just arrested a man and he's been watching a lot of websites and a lot of videos from the love zone by this one guy who looks to be the administrator of this website. He's posting a lot of his own videos. He is in Australia. So that is what, so at that point, Australia had a huge project thunderer to tackle this, but also tackle this, whoever was the owner of this Love Zone website and who was posting his own content, like, insane amounts of it. So in this investigation, like I said, they came across a website named The Love Zone, which we know was one of the biggest sites on the dark web at this point for this kind of stuff. So Australian police, when they found out that Danish police told them, it's this, a lot of this is coming from you guys, they were tasked with finding the creator and founder of The Love Zone online. So they knew the administrator of this website used a greeting whenever commenting, posting, whatever he was doing on the love zone. And this had always started with a really particular greeting, which was, Hiya's. That's a very odd way to begin a sentence, I guess. You know, you could just say, hey, hi, whatever. Whereas this administrator of the love zone, this huge child pornography website, was always saying, Hiya's. So police knew that they had to take this website down. Australian police knew that they had to take this website down as they found out it was an Australian website. So they searched the internet far and wide for this phrase, hires. They were searching hires into the internet, which brought up, honestly, thousands and thousands of possible results. That was until they found a four-wheel drive discussion forum in Adelaide in Australia. One person on this forum had made a post a post that began with hires and the name of this person posting closely resembled the username of the Love Zone Administrator. Now this person, the Love Zone Administrator, had made a post on a website asking for some car parts in the Adelaide, Australia area. They had a look at this profile that had posted, but there was nothing. It was like a like a burner account. No photos, no information, no links. It was pretty much just a throwaway throwaway profile created for well you can probably guess what it was created for but this guy made a little bit of a mistake by posting something on this you know throwaway profile that he had made so the police created their own facebook profile and pretended to also be looking for car parts or pretending to have the car parts for the truck that this guy something like that but they were basically they made a facebook profile to respond to this post so they had somehow after doing this, made contact with the poster who they believed was a love zone administrator, made contact, said, I've got the car parts or whatever. So they had somehow successfully managed to gain a photograph from this poster of the, the user's car. So this Facebook user had sent them a picture of the car that they have looking for parts. And in this picture, they had forgotten to blur out their number plate. So the registration plate. Now, police obviously can do a lot with that. So they took this registration plate, popped it into the system. And this led them to a 33-year-old man named Shannon McCool, who was a child care worker in Adelaide, Australia. Police finally had what they, who they believe, sorry, was the admin and owner of the website, The Love Zone. So when police went to make their arrests and turned up to Shannon McCool's house, there he was on the website the love zone so that was it right they had struck absolute gold here one of the hardest parts of taking down a criminal that does their business on the dark web is gaining access and getting proof so a lot of these guys have a lot of software in place that if you put in the wrong password or if you don't use a code word or something your computer will completely wipe and shut down and you know have viruses and stuff so they can't actually get any of the information that they need to convict you So Shannon McCool was on this website on an unlocked computer, logged into his user on this disgusting website. So this was everything they could ever need to conclude this case. It was crazy. 
Now, this guy Shannon wasn't just running the website or was the owner of this website. He was one of the top posters as he had a job which allowed him a lot of free access to really vulnerable children from the ages of 18 months to around seven years old. And how they convicted him and proved that he wasn't just the admin of this website, he was actually a very frequent poster, was that he had a unique freckle on his hand which matched the hand of a man featured in an uncountable amount of content posted on The Love Zone. So they had done it. Australian police had absolutely killed this, by the way. Found the admin of this website, and yes, he was a serial child abuser as well as running and distributing child pornography. Now, as I said, the police had access to this website, so police were planning on pretending to be Shannon McCool, the admin of the site, and get information from anyone and everyone, anything and everything and anyone and anyone they could. So the police took over this website and really quickly took a notice of one poster who was posting so often and was posting so much content that it was a huge priority to get this man arrested. Obviously there was a lot of other names and users that were posting a lot of content but Richard really stood out because he would have so many victims so often. They just couldn't believe how many possible victims this man could have and how often he could upload. So this was of this man that was posting all these videos so frequently was of course Richard Huckle. So now the police have taken down the admin of this website. They had a completely new task at hand. It was to find this guy, Richard Huckle. And Richard seemed to be a little bit better at covering his tracks than Shannon McCool. He was removing and blurring photos and videos, the background, deleting metadata, including locations, dates. He would blur the kids' faces and any distinct features. It was proving to be a lot more difficult to find Richard than it was to find Shannon McCool. So Richard made it very difficult. However, he had missed one tiny detail that made him findable. So police knew that they were looking for a location in Southeast Asia, as he had kind of, on the Love Zone website, he's, he had kind of loosely confirmed to another member that he was in and around this area. And police condensed that down to Malaysia. And I'm not entirely sure how they did it. This is probably just one little detail that gave it away, like, oh, in the background, or something, something, you can only get that in Malaysia, or something, something. You know, they've got a lot of knowledge. So they had the location, Malaysia. And luckily, that little nugget that Richard had forgotten to wipe from all of his uploads were his camera details, the make and the model of the camera that he was using to video and take pictures of all of this child pornography abuse. So they looked at photograph websites, like I mentioned earlier, Flickr, you know where people just upload normal, normal pictures to share with the world. So they looked at photograph websites where people upload their photos and they searched for content that had been posted in Southeast Asia from this particular model of Olympus camera. And they got him. They got his email address, which they found linked to loads and loads of other accounts, websites, pictures, including the Love Zone, and his private photography business, Huckle Photography Productions, which was based in, of course, Malaysia. They found his Facebook, his location, his nationality, where he worked, what he did, everything they could possibly need, they had all from one make and model of camera that had been left on something. Crazy. Now, as we know, Richard was British. So this got passed straight over to the British police as it's, you know, a British citizen. So they need, to, they need to convict him and find him and do all this. So Australian police handed it over to British police. However, British police couldn't do anything without approval from Malaysian police. So... How it works when you get to different countries is that, so you know on Criminal Minds, right? On Criminal Minds, you'll have a police force that'll be dealing with like a murder or something else. And the police force have to basically say, we can't handle this. Can we get the FBI in? We have to, they have to be invited there. It's kind of similar to how it works with a lot of like agreements that countries have with each other. So the British police couldn't do anything in Malaysia, the country, despite him being British without their approval, right? Hello, he's been abusing and raping God knows how many of your country's children. Help us. But Malaysian police just didn't help. They said there was no evidence of the crime and that they were not going to be pursuing Richard as a criminal. 
So between that time, so between the British police finding out about Richard Huckle and to when they could actually do anything was four months. So the British police had to sit tight and wait for Richard to be on British soil for four months, knowing that he was out there repeatedly raping and abusing babies and children and kids. Oh my God, I could never. But luckily for the British police, Richard did exactly that at Christmas that year. He'd post on his Facebook, because he's, you know, very communicative with everyone. He'd post on his Facebook that he was going to be returning home to the UK for Christmas, and he was telling everyone. And he was going to be back on December the 19th, 2014. And when December the 19th, 2014 rolled around, Richard was met at the airport by his dad and the National Crime Agency. And that was it. They had him. They had taken Richard Disgusting Huckle down. So they had taken him in after arresting him, of course. But obviously, Richard isn't saying anything. They didn't, it wasn't as lucky as Shannon McCool. They didn't get to find him with his, with his laptop wide open while he was, you know, committing the crime. So they didn't actually have access to any of Richard's posts, his laptop, computer, hard drive, camera, nothing. Because it was all super encrypted and they couldn't get into anything. So they had released him on bail under the conditions that he stay at his parents' house and he's not allowed to leave there. And of course, all of his electronic devices were seized. So Richard goes home and his parents are understandably devastated. And the next morning, they're asking Richard a million and one questions. What's going on? What have you done? Now, despite Richard refusing to cooperate, cooperate with the police, sorry, it seemed that he had been drinking a lot. And Richard very drunkenly admitted to his very own mother that yes, he had been raping and abusing God knows how many children while he, he was in Malaysia. And it was true. She asked him if it was true and he said, yeah, it's true. Now Richard's parents, as I described at the beginning, were warm and lovely Christian parents. They phoned the police immediately and begged them to take their son away. His mum was just like, get him out of this house. And it's actually really quite rare that in cases, the parents aren't somewhat defending. And I know, you know, it's a completely different crime. This is, you know, he's like a crazy, crazy dangerous man. Could you imagine your own mum being so horrified that she is literally begging the place to take you out of her house. You're such a monster that she needs you gone. So that's what they did. So after leaving his parents' house, Richard was rearrested and charged with 91 counts, including creation and possession of indecent images of children, rape of a child under the age of 13, digital penetration, sexual assault and facilitating the commission of child sexual offences by creating a paedophile manual called Paedophiles in Poverty Child Lover Guide. Oh, God. So at an initial hearing in January 2016, Richard had the audacity to plead not guilty to all 91 charges, which reportedly took over an hour to read out in court. So because he pled not guilty, that was it. It was, I don't, he's so arrogant. Imagine having 91 cases against you and being like, nope. Like, you're a monster. You're an evil, evil fucking monster. Anyway, so he pled not guilty to 91 charges, so that was it. They, had, they were going to trial. And because of this, prosecutors had to start preparing three separate trials because they did not believe that one single jury should be subjected to all of the graphic evidence that was, that was going to be presented. That is how much and how fucking evil this guy was. So then in April 2016, during a preliminary trial hearing, Richard did end up changing his plea to guilty to the 71 of the 91 charges he was facing after a request that he watch all of the evidence against him in court. So the only reason that he changed his plea was when he realised just how much they had on him in order to charge him. So he was like, yeah, okay, fine. Not because of his own conscience, not because of the victim's families or the victims themselves or anything else. Not for justice. He did it when he realised, oh shit, I'm actually going to get put away for this. Fine. So that meant there wouldn't be a trial. And luckily there was going to be no jury that would have to be traumatised for the rest of their lives for the sake of this case. All for Richard Huckle. So during this hearing was when the true horror of Richard Huckle became abundantly clear to everybody. The evidence, starting from 2006, continued for eight to nine years until his arrest in 2014. 
His victims ranged in age of 6 months to 12 years old, one that he even managed to abuse while they were wearing a nappy. Now it also came out that Richard had been creating a kind of point system for his crimes that he called a pedo points ledger, which he would get, award himself points based on the severity of his abuse. So he awarded himself points for sexually abusing children, but he couldn't win any points if he abused the same child in a week. So he would intentionally have to seek out different victims in order to give himself points. So proof that it was all just a game to him and he has absolutely no remorse. So in total, the trial unveiled 29 victims and more than 20,000 photos and videos. But it is believed that there could be up to 200 child victims across Southeast Asia and thousands more photos in the deeply encrypted parts of Richard's laptops, which he obviously refuses to provide any access to. So frustratingly with this case, the vast majority of his child abuse will never be recovered. And after all this went on, this is what Richard said himself. I really understand and acknowledge the true scale of damage it caused to the Malaysian community. I had hoped to escape this mundane life of solitude in the UK, yet was overwhelmed by the attention I had received in Malaysia. I completely misjudged the affections I received from these children. My low self-esteem and lack of confidence with women was no excuse for me to use these children as an outlet. I am open and eager to rehabilitate from this offending behaviour. I don't want to become a martyr to sex tourism in Malaysia. This was all my doing as a consequence of my immaturity and I am truly remorseful. I actually don't think that's at all true and I just think it's absolutely fucking disgusting that he is saying that he misjudged affections he received from children. Like, how can you misjudge an effect, uh, any affection that you receive from a child because a child doesn't have any ulterior motives? They are a, ch- they are a child, Richard. That, that's, their brain isn't developed yet because they're children, they're babies. And I don't think he's remorseful. So Richard's defence asked that the judge take into consideration his client's young age, his claims of remorse and the fact that he had no previous convictions. He also flagged that Richard reportedly had limited sexual experience with women and suffered depression as a teenager, which they got all this from a psychiatric report of Richard, so he wanted the judge to take all of that into consideration. But none of this worked because in June 2016, Richard was sentenced to life imprisonment on 22 counts with a minimum prison term of 26 years before ever being eligible for a parole. Some might argue that that's not quite enough, but some might argue that it's hard to convict people of these crimes and that any any time is, you know, good. The judge said that Richard carried out a campaign of rape and was driven by his own sexual gratification. And quotes, you have pleaded guilty to as many as 71 sexual offences. It's very rare indeed that a judge has to sentence sexual offending by one person on such a scale as this. In my view, you may well harbour feelings of regret, but there is no feeling of genuine remorse in this case. And I think the judge is completely correct. It's very much a case of, you're sorry you've been caught, but not sorry for what you did. And that's everything I have for Richard Huckle. Just kidding, the case does not end there. You're probably wondering right now, but Abby, your title says the murder child predator? Yes, it does say that. And you'll learn why. So in October 2019, while Richard was serving out his prison sentence at HMP Full Sutton in Yorkshire, inside his cell, 33-year-old Richard Huckle was found strangled and stabbed. It was soon discovered that another prison criminal, Paul Fitzgerald, a man serving a sentence for sexual assault and was honestly a complete psychopath who was very vocal about his love for raping women. And this man had also sexually assaulted a four-year-old when he was 12. So don't get this wrong. This man who murdered Richard was not an angel and he is definitely not anyone's hero. So Paul Fitzgerald was immediately charged with the murder of Richard Huckle and the details of this murder are pretty disgusting. During this 80-minute attack, he tied Richard's hands and feet, gagged him and strangled him using an electric cable. He repeatedly raped Richard Huckle so viciously that his bra was joking Sorry guys, this is editing, currently editing Abby. I obviously meant to say that his jaw was broken. I'm not sure how I managed to say his bra was joking and miss it, but his jaw was broken. And he also raped him with a kitchen utensil. He then had a pen that he had attached a blade to the end to, shoved it into Richard's nose, which then further penetrated Richard's brain. 
A very, very, very clearly angry attack. And Paul even admitted that he wanted to actually cook and eat part of parts of Richard's body, but he said, quote, I was having too much fun. The attack on Richard was described as a prolonged attack, also designed to humiliate and degrade Richard Huckle, that Paul described as poetic justice. Then on the 24th of November in 2020, Paul Fitzgerald was sentenced to life imprisonment with a judge stating that he must serve a minimum of 34 years in prison before being eligible for parole. And Richard Huckle is dead and murdered in a way that many describe as being what he had coming. Now that is the case of Richard Huckle, one of the world's most notorious child predators and the UK's worst ever one. That we know of. That's everything. That's everything. That's everything I have on this case. And I feel like I'm going to now go home. I'm already home. I'm going to now go crawl into my bed and cry my eyes out because this was a really, really tough one. I had to take a lot of breaks when I was researching this because it was so heavy. So please remember to take breathers from these. These are really horrible. I actually, even when I was going to record this, I had to... If I like was having a really good day and I was in a good mood, I couldn't record this episode because I just I just needed to after doing the research and reading so many articles, I had to take a long a, a good few days off from this. So please remember to do that for yourself. That's everything for me on this case. I will see you guys on Friday for my next Dinky Dark. Please again take a break and I will see you on Friday for Dinky Dark. Enjoy the spooks. 